Welcome to Let's Finally Watch This, a podcast for casual movie fans who have always meant to watch classic movies. I'm your host, Nick Hayden. And I'm your other host, Timothy Deal. This is episode nine, and we are in 2002. Whoa, uh, this is a big year for us. I mean, I guess last time we were both alive. Yeah, <laughs> good, for recording podcasts. For, yeah, in 1992, we were both around and kicking, but now we're actually, like, I remember this this year very well. It's a new millennium. That's new right. New century, new everything. 21st century. This is awesome, Nick. This is the year we met. Oh, is it? This was my freshman year in, in okay. college. I just graduated from high school this year, and then I started college, so... Happy friend anniversary, Nick. Yes, for, all right. Very good. 20 years. <laughs> That's right. Wow. So this episode in 2002, we are talking about Gangs of New York, a Martin Scorsese movie, which neither of us had obviously seen. Nope, we had not. But before we talk about the movie, let's talk about what's going on in film in 2002. Go for it, Tim. Okay, if there was any doubts last time around in 1992, whether uh, we were in the blockbuster age, there's no doubt about that now in 2002. Midnight showings, everyone. <laughs> That's right. It was, oh man, I missed the midnight showings. Although, it'd be a very different case now that I'm a little bit older and a different, like... Uh, it has to be a really good movie now. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but anyways, the top six grossing films of this year were all from franchises, including Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and Harry Potter and James Bond. And we're in the thick of that stuff now. There's a widening gap in some ways between the movies that earn big box office revenues and those that earn awards. Which has kept going, at least in my perception. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there was always a little bit of that gap, but it's we're very full-fledged into that kind of mode now. Mm-hmm. But digital filmmaking is currently revolutionizing the industry in this period of time. Uh, computers are being used for everything from special effects to post-production to the very medium movies are made with. This seems like uh, George Lucas is causing problems again. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. <laughs> I mean, the fact that this year, 2002, is the year Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones is made. And it is the first major blockbuster to be shot entirely digitally. It's shot with entirely on digital video. Video, I remember it was a big deal. Like everything was green screen. There was all kinds of articles how like no one acted anywhere but a green screen. Practically. Yeah. I mean, I think there are a couple of actual <laughs> locations. For instance, I know that there's a scene with Padme and Anakin walking through, I think, a palace in Italy or something. Oh. It's the same location is also used in Lawrence of Arabia, I think right before the intermission where the general and politician yeah. are walking through. Uh, the exact same, like the framing is the exact same. You line Which, them up side by side. George Lucas knew what he was doing yes. there because <laughs> yeah. he, as much as he likes doing, pushing the envelope into new technologies, he also... He loves old movies. He loves old movies and is heavily informed by them. But this year was the first time that was done and would be continue to be done more and more after this. I should say the first major blockbuster, the first actual full movie to be filmed entirely digitally. It was apparently, according to Wikipedia, a French mystery thriller called Vidoc. Vidoc. I'm not entirely sure how to even say this. Interesting. This word, uh, but from 2001. Another notable film from 2002, which I believe was also filmed digitally, um, was the film Russian Ark, which was a single take digital steady cam shot, a single take movie that's 90 minutes long. Which sounds fascinating. And I've always, it's kind of been my radar. Like, I need to see this someday. Yeah, I remember hearing about it, but I've never actually seen it. So uh, I kind of wish that I had realized that that was this year. But anyway, 
Other digital technologies taking root to this point, digital projection. Uh, at least George Lucas is advocating for theaters to convert over to digital projection. It's a expensive transition, and it will take basically the rest of the decade for all theaters to really convert. Mm-hmm. But it will slowly happen um, thanks to some financing deals. And plus, there are benefits for the theaters, too. It makes it a lot more, a lot easier for them to uh, sell advertising space, for example. Yeah. So. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but I do remember at Fort Wayne, Indiana, this was, I think, Rave mo- the, was the first. I think it was the first one that had digital in our I think area. So. Yeah. And I remember it being a big deal going to see Lord of the Rings movies. You got to go to the Rave. That's well, the place to see it. I think it. there was a fundraiser here for the one in Kendall mm. for the Strand to convert over because it's expensive with a little two screen. Yeah. Thing. And yeah. that, but that was way later, wasn't it? I think it was way later. Yeah. Yeah. yeah substantially after this. Yeah. Right, right. Post-production, uh, nonlinear video editing on computers has been around since uh, the 90s. Uh, interestingly, uh, I have to go into this because I have an editing background, yes. uh, but Adobe Premiere was released in 1991. Premiered. Premiered, I guess, Thank yes. You. Final Cut Pro released in 1998. So those, in some ways, those were like high-end consumer products, but they also did eventually get used for actual Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. But like I said, some movies were already going through some post-production processes digitally before this. The English Patient in 1996 was the first Oscar winner to be edited digitally. Okay. The movie Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which came out in the year 2000, was uh, one of the first major films to have uh, go through digital color correction. They kind of had a, a certain color tints they wanted mm-hmm. uh, the South to look like in the kind of a, a little bit more tintish, uh, brown tintish. We, we never had this color correction nowadays in movies. Yes, it happens all the time now. <laughs> in fact, it's kind of unusual not to see it. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it can it'll be overdone. I'm looking at Jude, the Muppet Show on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Man, they did some upscaling of that of that show uh, for Disney+, Plus, and certain episodes look terrible. Well, we found out after watching Blade Runner, they did... The director's cut of that has a pretty heavy yeah. color correction. If you look on. at the the comparison of the like the original color scheme and the the post production process, like it just looks like a very 2007 thing to do. But yeah. anyway, on the home consumer market, DVDs are becoming more and more of a thing. They were introduced in America in 1997, but 2001 was the first year in which DVDs outsold VHS tapes in okay. the U.S. At that time, one out of four homes had a DVD player. And I feel like I had a kind of firsthand view to see this between my college years. Because when I started college in 2002, a lot of people in the dorms still had VCRs and videotapes. But by the time I graduated in 2006, almost no one in the dorms had that. So it's just interesting that whole transition take place. We should also note, uh, again, 2002, those of us who lived through this know that this was fairly shortly after uh, the events of Mm 9-11. So it had an effect on when certain movies were released after that, possibly including Gangs of New York, although accounts differ on that. At one time, I think it was going to be released Christmas 2001, eventually got pushed back to December 2002. 9-11 may have had a a factor in that, but also just it was a more complicated post-production process than I think they were expecting. So there's that. Now, while we're talking about all this digital revolution stuff, I should note that all of that stuff barely affects this movie at all. <laughs> yes. This movie is not digital at all. It's very practical. Very, yeah. Yeah. This is kind of the exception that proves the rule of what was going on in films. 
because Martin Scorsese works on his own terms. Uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll come to that in a second. Uh, some notable films of 2002. The top grossing movie was The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, mm-hmm. for good reason. Oscar winners for this year, the best film went to Chicago. Best director went to Roman Polanski for The Pianist. Best actor went to Adrian Brody, also for The Pianist. And best actress was Nicole Kidman for The Hours. So our other nominations for this week's episode originally were Chicago and The Pianist. And real tempted to do Chicago since neither one of us had seen it, but we already had a musical. And we hadn't had a gangster movie. We hadn't had a gangster movie, and I really wanted to get Scorsese in here because here's my thing, and I'll get into this maybe now, maybe later, but I want to like Martin (laughs) Scorsese because I, I admire what he's done for film preservation and kind of that kind of thing. And in interviews, he seems like a nice enough guy. And Hugo was a great movie, but that was like the only movie of his I've seen that I really loved. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, man, I, 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 and I need to see more of his early stuff. Yeah, I will admit, but we'll get to more. We'll talk more about Martin Scorsese in a minute. Other notable events from this year, 2002, Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire came out in May, is the first film to make over $100 million during its opening weekend in the U.S unadjusted to inflation. Wow. So that movie, I remember, was kind of the uh, confirmation that superhero movies were here in a big way now. Movies were big in 2002. Yeah, there were a lot. Like, you look through the list of like, man, that was awesome. That was Minority Report came out this year. Ah, my first date movie. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's for being in the thick of the blockbuster age. It also, for me, it feels like a very rich time period for movies. They were good. I mean, they were not, not they're not good blockbusters, but they were doing lots of different things in the block. You know, you got Lord of the Rings, you got superheroes, you have Star Wars doing unique things. Uh huh. And it's also a time where you're getting more and more appreciation, I guess, because the DVD market is just picking up and even VHS tapes are cheaper now than they were like 10 years ago. You get a little bit more recognition for more niche stuff in a way like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, a film from China had become, was really popular just about two years before this. And I think Hero would come out. I don't remember this year or a little bit after it. Which I remember really enjoying. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a really interesting time for, for films. I think I wonder if TCM was around at that point. Anyway, lot, lots of film available. Good film literacy going on. Uh, but this year also marked the film debuts, uh, including Henry Cavill. Cavill or Cavill? I'm not sure. Anyway, Jesse Eisenberg, Tina Fey, and Kevin Hart, along with some more. So check that out on Wikipedia on 2002 in film if you're interested to hear more. So a lot of stuff going on in film, and at least the film we're picking this time, Gangs of New York, I hadn't heard much of it, we'll get to that more, but what is this movie? It's not a franchise, it's not digital, what is, what's going on here? All right. Gangs of New York, as we said, is directed by Martin Scorsese and stars Leonardo DiCaprio. He was kind of a big deal at the time. Yeah. S- still is, but he was still riding high off of Titanic. Yep. Also, Daniel Day-Lewis and Cameron Diaz. This is a historical drama set in a mid 1800 slum in lower Manhattan called Five Points, which was an actual location. It's not called that neighborhood anymore. It's, okay. it's been reformed. But in a prologue set in 1846, two gangs from Five Points confront each other in a final battle to determine dominion of the neighborhood. One gang is the Protestant Confederation of Native of American Natives. They're Anglos, but they were born in America, so they call themselves American Natives. 
led by Bill the Butcher Cutting, played by Daniel Day-Lewis. The other is an Irish Catholic immigrant gang known as the Dead Rabbits, led by Priest Valen, played by Liam Neeson. During the battle, Bill kills Valen and declares the Dead Rabbits outlawed. Valen's son, Amsterdam, witnesses all this before he is sent to an orphanage outside of Five Points. Sixteen years later, in 1862, Amsterdam, who is turned into Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, <laughs> Transition. <laughs> now played by Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, returns to his old neighborhood to seek vengeance against the man who killed his father. He meets an old acquaintance, Johnny Sirocco, who shows him the current lay of the land in Five Points, where all the thieves and gangs pay tributes to Bill the Butcher, now the head slumlord. Amsterdam works to gain Bill's trust in order to be able to kill him publicly at an annual celebration of Priest Valen's defeat. Along the way, he becomes attracted to the beguiling pickpocket Ginny Everdeen, played by Cameron Diaz, who is hiding her own past traumas. This is a film in color. The screen ratio is 2.35 over 1. So again, widescreen. Uh, I meant to check which version of widescreen this is, but you can look that up on aspect ratios in Wikipedia if you're really interested. Uh, the length is 2 hours, 47 minutes. It is rated R for intense, strong violence, sexuality, nudity, and language. So this is a... It, this is the most R-rated movie we've seen. Yes, for the season, for sure. Uh, not For this season. For this season, yeah. yeah. Hard to say whether it is ever, but yeah, for this <laughs> season, for sure. This is a quadruple threat. <laughs> this orchestral score is by Howard Shore, who was having a very busy year because he was also doing the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, yeah. So, But the soundtrack also includes, and I'll just quote from Wikipedia here, a mix of contemporary pop and world music and tunes from mid-19th century Ireland. So that's what this movie is. That, that's quite a rundown of that movie. That plot summary is interesting. Yeah. In some ways, this movie feels to me like a mix of, you know, Martin Scorsese is a director who rise, rose to prominence during New Hollywood, yeah. which we've talked about. And the idea for this movie came from when he found a book called Gangs of New York. Which is a historical book. I mean, it's not fiction. It's... Yes, it's history. detailing the history of this neighborhood. And it was a neighborhood where Martin Scorsese had grown up oh, or, okay, or, interesting. or near that. And okay. uh, it answered some questions he had always often had about why certain things were here and why were there Irish names next to, you know, you know, he's from an Italian family. Yeah. So, you know, I think there are other Italian immigrants nearby where he lived, but there are all this, this other stuff he didn't have an explanation for. So he was fascinated with the story and wanted to make a movie. But it took a while with the scale he wanted to make the movie at. It took a while before he could get financing for it because he mm -hmm. really wanted to basically recreate this neighborhood as best as possible which with actual does. sets, which he does. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. So anyways, who cares? Was this well known? It was well received at the time. According to Box Office Mojo, and I think I can trust some of these online sources a little bit more now because they were around, actually. When they were to keep track. This was, became big business, figuring out how much things would cost. Exactly. Yeah. But according to Box Office Mojo, it was the 24th highest earning movie of the year. Its international total was more than its domestic total. The domestic, if they had just relied on domestic, they wouldn't have met their budget because it was a, a pretty expensive budget at the time. But the international total, like, well over made it. They made, like, around, I don't know, probably around $70 million on this okay. thing. Critically, it generally was a success on Rotten Tomatoes, which, again, I, I give a little bit more creed to because this is, again, these were contemporary. It was around yeah. at the time. It earned 72% approval based on 214 reviews. Uh, the consensus Rotten Tomatoes gives says about it is, though flawed, the sprawling, messy gangs of New York is redeemed by impressive production design and Day-Lewis's electrifying performance. 
72% is not bad. It's not wholly enthusiastic, but at the same time, it did meet over 15 movie critics' top 10 lists of 2002, top 10 lists of the year, including Peter Travis of Rolling Stone magazine, who called it a triumph of pure craft and passionate heart. Also, Richard Roper, who was Roger Ebert's partner at the time on uh, Ebert and Roper on their TV show, uh, he listed that as his number one movie of the year. Okay. Richard uh, Corliss of Time Magazine ranked it at number two of the year, and A.O. Scott of the New York Times ranked it on number eight of the year. Um, Roger Ebert, who I, I mention on here a lot because he he's, was American's big movie critic yeah. as we were gro- growing in our young adulthood. And he just seems to resonate. He's always appeared to me a little more common sense than some critics. Like yeah. he, he had a good sense of film and liked great art, but he could kind of balance. Yeah, he, he was able to put it in layman's terms yeah. really well. So that's that's one reason why I like referencing him. I don't do it every episode, but, but Robert Ebert said, who was a huge fan of Scorsese, but thought that this movie was not Scorsese's best work, calling it, quote, very good, but not great. Scorsese's films usually leap joyfully onto the screen, the work of a master in command of his craft. Here there seems more struggle, more weight to overcome, more darkness. It is a story that Scorsese has filmed without entirely internalizing, end quote. That being said, it was nominated for 10 Oscars, though it didn't win any of them. It did win a Golden Globe for Best Director, and I think it won a few other awards, but so just keep that in mind. Of notes, this is the first collaboration between Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. Those two would go on to make five other movies together, with a sixth currently in development. This is a more recent movie, so it's a little harder to say what influence it had. Yeah, because 20 years, unless it's like lightning rod, doesn't tend to show up quite yet as far as influence. I mean, things can. I mean, it happens, but... But it's less clear at this point, haven't... There weren't as many references to filmmakers saying, oh man, I I looked back at Gangs of New York to figure out how to do this. So it doesn't necessarily have a wide pop culture legacy yet, but given that Martin Scorsese has a history of crime movies, it's kind of what he's known for. Mm-hmm. This one will probably, and this one is a crime movie. This probably will be considered by film scholars for many years to come, at the very least, as part of his body of work. Yeah. So in that sense, it's certainly, and again, nominated for several awards, so people did like it. So that's one reason why it uh, wound up in on this episode. And we had seen a lot of the blockbusters already. Yeah, that's that's true. At this point, we we've seen a lot of the big movies. So we were alive because we were alive, and uh, we we're teens and had money to spend to go to exactly. to movie theater. I guess we were. Well, I guess I was a teen at this point. But anyway, yeah. anyways. Let's get to what we think about this thing. Tim, I had no previous interaction with Gangs of New York. I'm not even sure I knew it existed. <laughs> um, or maybe it hurt. But yeah, yeah, I have like, you said Gangs of New York. I'm like, sure, why not? But I had no, nothing really attached to my brain. Did you have anything? A little bit. I was paying attention to the uh, Oscar races at this time. I think it's even possible I read Roger Ebert's review when it was in the paper. So that was about all I really knew of it. I feel, again, because partly because it was his first collaboration with DiCaprio, partly because of Scorsese's history with these kinds of movies, I had heard it name dropped here and there. But again, I didn't necessarily have any context for it. I knew it was kind of a, a gritty dirty kind of movie, but I wasn't in a hurry to see it. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, and then we record our instant reactions um, when we saw it last week. So uh, with, our, with our wives. With our wives. Yes. So roll the tape. All right.
Well, this is a strange blend of a gangster movie and a historical war story, I guess. I mean, there are some of the familiar beats of gangster things. The mob boss that uh, there's someone trying to get into his good graces and all the like politics that go along with that. Mixed in stuff with Irish immigrants and anti-war rhetoric, or at least people in New York who have no interest in going into war of the South. There's a lot of ideas here. It's hard for me right now to know if I can justify all the extreme. This movie has none of the restraint of the last movie did mm. for another R-rated movie. I mean, the, the last movie was rough, but this one is on another level and... I don't know. I'm not sure if I can justify it at the moment. So, Nick, what what are your immediate thoughts? Well, I agree with all that. Obviously, Scorsese knows how to film, but simultaneously, it feels like it's two some hours of largely. I'm going to show you how horrible it is, and leave it there. Like you said, I'm not sure it's there's enough there to make it worth the violence and nudity and other such. Oh, let's revel in how bad New York was at this time. I also feel a bit overwhelmed after watching so many people get killed. Something about seeing it in this context was harder than seeing it in something like, say, Lord of the Rings for some reason. I guess I don't feel quite as emotional about seeing orcs get stabbed, but there are humans cutting each other with axes and butcher knives. Something about that feels harder. I enjoyed the costumes. Revenge story. It can't not be dark. And it felt like it was telling another cycle of, I want to say sin repeating itself, or killing repeating itself. Cycle of killing. This person got killed, so this person's going to take revenge, so that person's going to get killed, and it's going to just keep going. No wonder uh, one of the characters wanted to go away to San Francisco. And I kind of walked away with feeling like, boy, things were really hard for the Irish immigrants in America. And look how rough we were to them when they came here trying to have a better life. True, not true, I don't know. That's how the movie made me feel. I thought the movie, the tone of the movie was very confusing. Um, Because it starts, I actually had no idea what I was getting into. I think I knew it was rated R, but that's about it. And then it starts and... I'm like, is it supposed to be over the top? Is it supposed to be based on a real story? I had no idea. I mean, it seemed very over the top. Nick made the comment at some point in the movie that it seemed farcical. Just a little bit like they're making fun of something maybe, or I wasn't sure. And then it got much more serious throughout the movie. But yeah, it is, the music also made it kind of confusing because you'd have this like really peppy, like fun music while they're slashing and killing and it was odd i don't know if we're going with for gangs of new york i just put me in some newsies (laughs) (laughs) our thoughts seem to be a little scattered and confused at the end of it not quite sure to make of it we've had some time to process yes which which helps process and i looked up some stuff and try to get a feel for why did they make this thing because it does seem like, even for me, and I haven't done as much of looking stuff up, but it does seem like there are a lot of good ideas about immigrants and about what it means to become an American. 
and how how that tension grew up. And there's a lot of interesting ideas there, but I think I still hold with my initial idea, uh, my initial thought that that's somewhat derailed by the fascination with Daniel Day-Lewis's character, mm. who does it amazingly well. I mean, he is a very, I mean, the acting, his acting especially is electrifying. I think one of the quotes you had earlier. Yeah. But I, it does seem like in some ways he sucked up all the the air and the The movie. attention. Yeah. I feel like Daniel Day-Lewis does that in some ways. <laughs> He's one of these method actors that is in character even when the cameras aren't rolling. Mm-hmm. And that can be good for a movie like Lincoln, where being able to embody someone noble and upright is fascinating, yeah. and you want you want to be drawn to that. But yeah, in, in a film like this, maybe not so much. I guess we should explain, in case you don't remember from the summary, Daniel Day-Lewis plays uh, Bill the Butcher, who is a very... Um, the slumlord. He's, very, he's not just like, hey, I'm in charge, but he's kind of over... Um, Purposely violent or strategically violent, maybe would be a better way to say it. Yeah, he uh, and amoral to his long. Well, he like, has a, he has a code. But he has his own code, but he he definitely is one of these rulers that rules by fear as mm-hmm. much as anything. You know how I stayed alive this long, all these years. Fear, the spectacle of fearsome acts. Somebody steals from me, I cut off his hands. He offends me. Cut out his tongue. He rises against me. I cut off his head, stick it on a pike. Raise it high up so all in the streets can see. That's what preserves the order of things. Fear. And they, they are very sure to make sure you know that. Yeah. Continuously. Yeah. He, for about he, two hours. He, he can cut off your hand or, or slit your throat at any time at a drop of a hat. He yeah. has no qualms about murder of, of any kind. No. Except he hates backstabbers and assassins. Yeah. It has, it has been honorable, apparently. Sort that's, of. That's always the gangster thing all around. But Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Tim. What's your, what are your thoughts having thought for a bit? Well, I kind of concur with you about... So in some ways, this feels, like I said before, it, it's a movie that Martin Scorsese had wanted to make for a long time. Mm-hmm. And yet, I kind of agree with Roger Eber that in some ways, it doesn't feel quite complete or fully thought out it's kind of interesting but there's this quote that's um let me read this quote that's on the the wikipedia page for gangs in new york martin scorsese said uh in an interview he said regarding this uh the period in which it's set in which i will say real quick the setting is fascinating the, the setting is fascinating the politics are fascinating and it is very fully realized like janelle mentioned the costumes but like everything is it's a great looking movie, a great film movie. Yeah. And it's a period of time that I don't think I'd really seen explored a whole lot before. Outside of Civil War. Outside, this is, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it takes place during the Civil War, but it's real, this movie has nothing is, to do with it. Well, aside from the stuff, there's inf- there's scenes about the draft yeah. and how they would take Irish immigrants pretty much straight off the boat and send them off to the war fields. Yeah. Like, literally, this is a scene where they do just that. Which is a pretty interesting scene. Yeah. That document makes you a citizen. This one makes you a private in the Union Army. Now go fight for your country. Next. And we can talk some more about the production design in a little bit, but since we're on this topic, let me read this quote from Martin Scorsese, how he saw this period. He said, the country was up for grabs and New York was a powder keg. This was the America, not of the West with its wide open spaces, but of claustrophobia, where everyone was crushed together. On one hand, you had the first great wave of immigration, the Irish, who were Catholic, spoke Gaelic, and owed allegiance to the Vatican. On the other hand, there were the nativists, who felt they were the ones who had fought and bled and died for the nation. 
They looked at the Irish coming off the boats and said, what are you doing here? It was chaos, tribal chaos. Gradually, there was a street by street, block by block, working out of democracy as people learned somehow to live together. If democracy didn't happen in New York, it wasn't going to happen anywhere. Now, the last part of that quote is very interesting, and I would actually like to see more of a movie about that than what this is. Because the movie's interesting. Okay, our DVD actually had two DVDs like stopped halfway through. Is that insert this too? Yeah, which was interesting. It is strange, and I I don't know. If that's just a relic of uh, the time period this movie came yeah. out. Because like when I was looking, I was actually looking at bonus features of that disc today. Yeah, because some of the bonus features are on that disc, and some are on the other one. Huh. Whereas nowadays they would have just put the later on they would have just put the whole movie on one disc yeah. and special features on a second disc. Must just be so. I don't know, but. About the second half of the movie, this sort of um, idea of democracy and the tri I mean, the tribalism's all through the movie, but really pushing this sort of how do we become Americans when we're separate people becomes a more overt theme. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of like, let's talk out democracy that's very quickly cut short. So there's this whole like, literally, whether democracy would be a thing is never resolved, really. Yeah. And if it had been, I think the movie would have been more cohesive, I think. Yeah, the, it doesn't ever really feel like the movie gives any answers aside from just brute force. Yeah. Even the way the conflict is resolved, which we won't get into here because we're stay away from spoilers. But I kind of get the feel, having looked at one of the, the bonus features, I wonder if Scorsese was going for a more hands-off approach to his telling a historical story. Mm-hmm. Like, here are just the facts. These are the people, these are the, the wars without giving a whole lot of commentary to what should have happened in all this situation. I think it's possible. It just seems like it still doesn't quite work as that either, I don't think. Like, mm. I feel like you still need a little more, another couple more options to look at. Or, mm. some, you know, some sort of... I mean, I keep comparing this to Unforgiven. Unforgiven doesn't say whether anything's right or wrong at the end. Yeah. But you have a, had all movie people saying their points of view. This movie really only has this tribal point of view for the vast majority of it. That's an interesting point because we really, the only person who does anything close to philosophizing is really Bill the Butcher. Mm -hmm. Like Leonardo DiCaprio's whole thing is very like youthful vengeance and then, but also torn with like, I'm actually starting to respect this guy a little too much while I'm getting close to him and his feelings toward Cameron Diaz's character. He does a little bit of uh, organizing the political vote. Yeah. But it's almost throwaway in the three hour of the movie. Yeah. There's really not an alternate perspective to Bill the Butcher's way of doing things, except that, well, we're Irish and we have a right to be who we are and we, yeah. we're going to fight back. We'll fight your fire with fire. And there's really not like an alternate. Whereas like, at least in Unforgiven, you have like, got like the main character who's trying to find a new way of life and yep. in contrast with someone who's just trying to maintain power. And, 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 and then you have the young guy who learned, I mean, there's just like five or six different points of view being played kind of even. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair point because, you know, Lawrence of Arabia was another movie we'll watch this season that had a very kind of ambivalent or not ambivalent, but like ambiguous. ambiguous. How do you interpret Lawrence? Who, who was he? And even Lawrence himself wasn't entirely certain who he was, but there was enough and that points, was interesting. And there was enough points of view and you've saw enough of him and kind of his own con- conflicted life that it was okay to leave it like that. Mm-hmm. But this one, I can see them trying that, but I don't think it, it didn't work for me at least. Yeah. My father gave his life making this country what it is. Murdered by the British with all of his men on the 25th of July, Anno Domini 1814. You think I'm gonna help you befoul his legacy? By giving this country over to them was had no hand in the fighting for it? Why, because they come off a boat crawling with lice and begging you for soup? 
You're a great one for the fighting, Bill, I know. But you can't fight forever. I can go down doing it. And you will. What did you say? I said you're turning your back on the future. Not our future. And it was interesting the way Natasha pointed out the some of the strange way the, the like the opening fight scene mm-hmm. was. And you said it was kind of almost music video-ish. Yeah. And you weren't sure if you were like supposed to revel in the violence or be disgusted by or it. Or be disgusted by it. I mean, I I don't know if it has any reference, but anyone who's seen Anchorman, I just keep thinking of this news, the the news reporter gang thing where the theme after they're like, man, they escalated quickly. Uh-huh. Um, I, I killed a man with a trident. I mean, it, it just, it's a very music video opening and, you know, you got the dead rabbits, which without context, you're just like, that sounds a little ridiculous as a... As a, a gang name? Yeah. Which I mean, is, apparently, that is an, an actual name. Yeah. I, I don't know why they're, they had a battle standard that was to hang a, a pair of dead rabbits, but I don't know why that was. But the farther you go in the movie, the more it readjusts itself. Like, okay, this is what we're saying. The beginning comes off. It's hard to know how are you supposed to take this thing. Yeah. It reminds me of a, a movie that I saw, like a test screening, actually, back in L.A. Um, with Elijah Wood called, I think it was just called Hooligans. I think they've renamed it something else since then. But it was basically a movie about British soccer players, or I say U.K. soccer players, and how they would gang up and beat up like the other like go to war against the other team and it was weird like is this a celebration of this or is this uh what is this actually saying about the nature of violence and when it's vague like that it leaves kind of a squeamish or like a unsettled feeling i think it doesn't help that first scene that intro is actually really well done both the lead up and the setup and Mm -hmm. everything but like the music during the gang fight is like this it's almost like this rock yeah. It almost feels like it's like a like the intro to some sort of like God of War video game or something <laughs> like that. And you're like, yeah. what am I supposed to feel here? Yeah, because like Thor has done really interesting battle sequences yeah. that are like epic and like awesome and like, yeah, but you yeah. have some side to root for. This doesn't feel like, what are we rooting for here? Like these are just two people living in a neighborhood in New York. Yeah. Like, There's no context to start with. We get a lot of it later, yeah. which is a choice and not necessarily a bad one. It's just... Yeah. Yeah. There's just a lot of, like I said, there's a ton of stuff crammed into it, but it doesn't all join. Yeah. Now, I do feel like one reason why this was critically acclaimed, a big part of it probably is the way the setting is developed and made. Again, this is like the opposite of like the transition to digital filmmaking that we talked about earlier, because they literally built like three blocks worth of city in... Um, yeah, it looks great. On this, yeah, this is actually filmed in Italy, but because they they couldn't film in New York because none of New York actually looks like this anymore. Yeah. But the setting is fantastic, and it, it really does do something having a physical location that that you couldn't have done in like a green screen thing. Yeah. I saw somewhere and I don't know how accurate this is, but I, I can believe it that George Lucas visited the sets at some point because I'm sure George Lucas or Scorsese were contemporaries. Yeah. They both came out of new Hollywood era. And, uh, Lucas said at some point, you know, they can make all this with computers now. <laughs> <laughs> Which sound, okay, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> but you couldn't have done some of the, you know, Scorsese talked in that quote about the claustrophobic conditions mm-hmm. and like people living on top of each other practically. And they go inside this one refuge, not refuge. Uh, what do they call uh, the 
the, the place where all the poor people, yeah. like the Irish people, you know, it, it's just people living on top of each other and in an underground. And yeah, it, the, there's this fantastic scene of them coming out of the to go to do battle and all the the sheer number of people and the sheer like cramped everything feels mm-hmm. like. That's one thing I've noticed even about like the Star Wars TV shows. You know, they those are filmed pretty not on like green screen, but like on these new crazy digital yeah. sets, which is kind of cool. I mean, it plays back to like back in like Wizard of Oz when when they have these big back painted yeah. backdrops. It's a similar vibe, but. I've noticed even like some shows now that I'm aware that that's what's going on. Sometimes it, it seems like it's a lot, even if it's supposed to be like a crowded city scene, it feels not quite as cramped or mm-hmm. natural in some ways. It's like something like this would. And again, they're working on a TV budget. So it's yeah. the digital thing is probably the only way those shows are going to get made. But that is something I think in this movie's favorite. It's like a, um, the American version of, of uh, Dickens, gross London sequences. Yeah, I, th- I think that's accurate. And yeah, the setting is a very strong part of it. The cinematography and the acting is great. I mean, other than Daniel Day-Lewis, we already mentioned. Yeah. But I think it is worth, I think we've mentioned, but like it's radar for very good reasons for the violence mm-hmm. and sexuality and nudity. And so it, it, it has a lot of that underbelly exploited. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, I think probably some of the violence is a little bit exaggerated. The historical, from what I was reading, it's a mix of like being very historically accurate and kind of fudging a a few things. Like they deal with the draft riots that take place near the end of the movie are an actual thing that happened. They weren't actually like quelled by cannon fire. That didn't necessarily happen. Well, and I I read that one of the guys they base Bill the Butcher on, like they don't know that he actually ever killed a guy. Oh, really? I read that somewhere. Yeah. And Oh, interesting. And he did die before the draft riots. So again, it's one of these things where they they like riff on actual wall in some ways being very faithful. Like the flavor is very 1862. Yeah. And apparently Five Points was a a real dump fire of a place to live in. Apparently Dickens traveled at once and there's a quote that you can read about how he described it. It sounds, to paraphrase, it's, uh, you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. (laughs) Yes. To rip off Obi-Wan Kenobi. But yeah, it was really an awful, awful place until it got Eventually, I think probably after the draft riots, they like did a massive cleanup. But again, if you remember like hearing things in the Victorian era about massive reformists, yeah, there was a reason for why they wanted to do that. Yes. Who are the gangs around now? We've got the Daybreak Boys and the Swamp Angels. They work the river looting ships. The Frog Hollow Shanghai sailors down around the bloody angle. Shirt Tales was rough for a while, but they become a bunch of Jack Rolling dandies, lolling around Murderer's Alley looking like Chinamen. Hellcat Maggie, she tried to open her own grog shop, but she drunk up all her own liquor and got thrown out on the street. Beautiful. Now she's on the lay for anything. There's a plug uglies, they're from somewhere deep in the old country. Got their own language, no one understands what they're saying. They love to fight the cops. And the night walkers, the rag pickers were open. Uh, they work on their backs and kill with their hands. They're so scurvy on the plug uglies to talk to them. But who knows what they're saying? The slaughterhousers? So anything else we want to say before we get to our questions? I think we better get to our questions. Okay. You want me to ask one first? Yes. Okay. Serious question. If you could change one thing in this movie to make it better, what would it be? Or make it more coherent? Uh, well, to make it more coherent or to make it better? Uh, but, uh, do better. I would eliminate all the nudity. Uh, yes. Because I... It, it was not necessary. It was completely unnecessary. Yes, this area was a, a squalor of sin and all kinds of depravity, but we didn't need to see that. You, you could you could imply it just fine. Yeah. So that, that'd be the one single thing. Now, to make it more coherent, 
I would, I guess, yeah, bring in someone with an alternate point of view. Um, but I, I guess the problem is I don't know if you can do that while maintaining the historical story that they're looking to tell. I guess there's that one character who ends up running for office. Yeah. I mean, you could have had him talk more. I mean, like, you could have the same thing happen. Yeah. I mean, the trick is this is, like, still the era of Tammany Hall, and yeah. there was rampant political corruption it, there. The corruption's very obvious. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. The appearance of the law must be upheld, especially while it's being broken. I can see why Scorsese wanted to put a movie in this period, but I don't know that there's an easy way to do it without, like, telling the story over a longer period of time. Mm. That kind of shows the gradual reforms Another of how generation. it got cleaned up. Yeah, yeah. Pretty interesting. Yeah. What was your second question? My se- okay, my less serious question. What one element from Newsies should show up in this movie? I, I, I want to say the, the songs, but like I can't imagine like combining... Just, let's just bring Christian Bale in. That, that, that was my second <laughs> instinct. Yeah, Christian Bale. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Christian Bale would probably feel... He probably would prefer to do this kind of movie than Newsies. Oh, yeah. I, th- I don't think he enjoyed doing Newsies a lot because he, he uh, always considered himself pretty serious. I guess we should mention one reason we keep mentioning Newsies here, if not seen, is that one of the characters wants to go to Santa Fe. No. No, he wants, she wants to go to San Francisco. But anyway, it made us think Santa Fe because it's kind of the same thought process. Yeah, yeah basically. All right, that's, those are my two questions. Okay, my first question is, so this is a crime movie. Yes. What do you think the ongoing appeal of crime movies is? We haven't gotten, I mean, this is not oh, a, that's a traditional gangster movie, mm-hmm. but this is as close as to one we're going to get this season. I, I think there's two things. One, I do think we like, there's part of us that likes getting, and this one's not quite as much that, getting away with like that sort of the honorable thief thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we like the idea of that. Well, we can do it our way, but we also still have our own morals. Yeah. But I think also, crime movies, at least from my limited experience, always has something about justice in it. Whatever the one their code is, they're very strong on one point, and that's the thing we like about it, whether it's family or justice or protecting your own people. I think we're all kind of tribal. Hmm. And there's something, I think humans like to both be do what we want, but also have a good moral reason for doing the way we want to do it. Hmm. I don't know. That's my thought. But I've not seen a lot of crime movies, so I might be way off base. Yeah, that makes sense to me. We'll see if we get into another one next season or not. Yeah. Okay, my second question. Who would win in a fight? Bill the Butcher or Jack the Ripper? Hmm. I feel like Jack the Ripper, because I don't think Jack the Ripper has many. Uh, I think you just backstab him. Okay. You, and You say the dark and then like... Yeah, because because Bill Butcher always wants to do it in front of your face and... Mm. Talk real importantly about something before killing you. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that's okay. going to be my answer. You know, I guess it says something about like we were talking about, oh, there's too much violence. And then, like, at the same time, it's fun to talk about who would be the, who would <laughs> kill the other person in the fight. Yeah, exactly. It's, it just, it's how you, how it's packaged. Yeah, that's, that makes all the difference, I guess. We're creatures that are fascinated by conflict. Yes. No matter yeah. what form that takes. And we like, like, you can blow up a Death Star, and we don't care that you kill a million people. <laughs> um, but you, you, you kill know, all the bad guys. That's the important but, thing. But, you know, killing one guy with a bullet in Unforgiven, it, like, ruins us all. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. Here's where it comes down to it, Tim. Did we like this movie? Not exactly. No, I mean, I can appreciate some of the technical aspects, but I'm not sure I like the movie. I, I, yeah, I don't like the movie. Yeah. 
No, I, I think this is probably the, the movie on this season that we will most unrecommend people for. Yes. Uh, I really don't think I can recommend this one. Fascinating historical period, interesting outfits. It would probably be better if you really want to see what they did with that. If you want, check out the DVD and look at the special features, but don't actually watch the movie. Yeah. <laughs> at yeah, least it, that's where I come down on. Yeah, um, I would agree with you that it just, for whatever it's trying to do, it doesn't. it's too much... That's not worth slogging through. Yeah. If you want to read the history, it's one of the situations where it'd be better to read about than actually see. Yeah, I'm sure it's a fascinating... Well, it is a fascinating history, but yeah, not in this context, not in this um, medium. Yeah. And I I regret saying that because, like I said, I want to like Martin Scorsese. (laughs) Uh, Hugo is a great movie, and unfortunately, it's like the only time he's ever done a family movie. Yeah. But I, I clearly, what I, I need to see his earliest stuff that is what rose into prominence. I have never actually seen Mean Streets or Taxi Driver or Raging Bull or Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are either. those are his big famous ones, and maybe we'll get around to those later in the season. But but for now, we'll say uh, not this one. Not this one. All right, so that is episode nine. We will be moving on to our last episode of the season. That's right. Taking place in 2012, we will be watching The Life of Pi. Just Life of Pi, I think. Oh, just Life of Pi, okay? <laughs> no, no the, um, I, I guess. Until next time, uh, you can find us on DearOldTrainsOfThought.com, all the different podcatchers, Spotify, Google, School. Apple Podcasts. Google. School. <laughs> I think we should start a, a new uh, search engine called School. <laughs> tell your friends, tell your family, tell your hamster. Tell your enemies, tell your rival gangs. Yes, exactly. About, uh, let's finally watch this. Or maybe don't watch it, you know, depending on the, what the case may be. <laughs> but until next time, this has been Nick. And this is Tim. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.